You are listening to audio from Life Community Church located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. We will now join Pastor Ryan McAllister as he brings us the message for today. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I didn't introduce myself before, so let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan McAllister. I'm the pastor here at Life. Uh, If this is your first time here, we welcome you. We thank you for joining us. Uh, You have joined us in the third week, fourth week, actually. We did a a week before the beginning of Advent, um, fourth week of our study through the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, find the New Testament Usually it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel. Uh, Usually, I say usually because I don't know what Bible you have. I don't know what you're bringing here. We're going to get you right if you brought the wrong one here, but just saying, that's how you find it. So go ahead, go to Luke. We're in chapter one. Chapter one, we're going to be doing uh, what Pastor Reed complained I didn't give to him last time, uh, which is a giant chunk of verses to preach through. Uh, We are going from verse 39 all the way to 80. So read next time, don't worry, I will give you as many verses as possible, as humanly possible to preach through in one Sunday. Um, last, Last time he was like, I've only got like 20 verses. And I was like, okay, 150, here we go. We're going to do all of Psalm 119. You have to do exegetical preaching next time, 119, here we go. All right. Let's go ahead and let's read the first section of this together, just to kind of get our bearings straight about where we are. We're going to do verses 39 through 56. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pews in front of you. You can also download the uh, Bible app. It's very available, version on the App Store or Google Play Store, just a way for you to have God's Word in front of you. I do put it on the screen, but I always want you to check me. Uh, I don't want you to just just trust every single thing that's up on the screen, especially when it comes to the Word of God. You should have God's Word in front of you. So let's read this together. Luke 1, 39, and we're going to go through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him 
from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Just as a general review for you about the book of Luke. Luke has a purpose in writing this gospel. He wants to give us truthful history. He's concerned about bringing the best information possible so that you, as he says in the beginning, you might be confident about the things you have been taught. This is a book written to Christians so that Christians can have confidence in what they believe. He wants to give us the truthful history of Christ. He also wants to point out to us that Christ is a continuation of the history of Israel. He wants it, One of the things that I think we have a difficult time understanding even today is the relationship between the church and the people of Israel. And so what Luke is trying to help us to see is that there is not just this separated church Israel, but rather a connection. This is very reminiscent of a lot of the things that Paul says in the book of Romans, verses, uh, chapters 9 through 11, where Paul kind of expounds on what is the relationship between Israel and the church. Uh, the, the short notes is that uh, Gentiles have been grafted in and some of the, uh, some of the natural branches have been cut off to the root of the tree of Israel. And so the church is now included. Those Gentiles who were not born into an a ethnic faith, they are rather grafted into God's promised people through faith in Christ. Because Paul points out, not all who are born into Israel are of Israel. Rather, it's those who act like their father Abraham, trusting in God, those who have faith, who are part of Israel. And so we've divided up the Gospel of Luke into four sections. We're going to be going throughout uh, the entire beginning of the, of the year through the Gospel of Luke. This is our first section, verses 1-1 through 2-52. This is a long-awaited birth. The next section we will cover in the new year is going to be 3-1 through 9-50, which is answering the question, is he the one? This is a question that the disciples of John have for Jesus. Are you the one we've waited for, or should we wait for another? And then from 9-51 until 19-27, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He is on a crash course with the city of Jerusalem, which is where he will be delivered unto sinful men to deliver men from sin, which is chapter 19, verse 28, through chapter 24, verse 53. And so we are now in this beginning section, a long-awaited birth. 
We have already gone through a couple of annunciations. The, Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel has come and visited two women so far. Elizabeth, uh, he's actually visited a father and then a woman. He's visited Zechariah in the temple, and then he visited Mary and has announced births of miraculous children, one to an old couple who they thought they were completely barren and would not have children, and one to a virgin who has not known a man. One child who will be the forerunner of the next. This is where we now come to verse 39. We're going to do uh, this section by section. Verses 39 through 45, we're going to, have to be talking about the blessed, blessed by the fruit of the womb. Right before verse 39 is the end of the, uh, the discussion that Gabriel has with Mary. And unlike Zechariah, who was doubtful about what Gabriel was telling him that his wife would become pregnant, and he was like, well, how am I really supposed to know that? We're really old, you know. And Gabriel's like, I know, but God has told you, and now you're going to be quiet for the next nine months uh, until your son is born. Mary has a much different approach, and Mary is like, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. Could you just explain this to me? I'm, I'm wondering about what this means. And she believes she just wants to know how the process is going to go. She ends her conversation, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign to show him how he knows that his son will be born. The sign is he won't talk for nine months. That's Zechariah's sign. Zechariah's sign is the angel going, shh, for nine months. That's his sign. Now, the sign for Mary is that Elizabeth, a woman who is too old to be pregnant, a woman who is thought to be barren, is pregnant. So, what does Mary do after Gabriel leaves? Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Mary actually believed. Mary really believed what the angel was saying. So much so, she didn't waste any time. She went with haste to go visit Elizabeth. She went straight there. You know, this is, it's actually kind of interesting because um, it doesn't give the town that Zechariah and Elizabeth live in, which, you know, I, I would be kind of interested. Where do they live? And it just says the hill country, the hill country of Judah. And this is being done because there is a parallel that is being made between, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, that there's this parallel with other people in salvation history that's being made. And this is, there's a parallel or a, an echo of the miraculous birth of Samuel. And what's pointed out about Samuel's birth is that it happens in the hill country of Judah. Um, and so there's these echoes of that. She entered the house of Zechariah, verse 40, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the angel of the Lord. From the Lord, sorry. Not only did Mary really believe, she actually believed what she was told. We see in this and in Elizabeth's words that God is keeping his promises. We are told Elizabeth will become pregnant. And lo and behold, she doesn't have a burrito jumping inside of her. She has a baby jumping inside of her. Elizabeth is pregnant. God's keeping his word. What's really interesting about this is that Zechariah was told that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even while he's in his mother's womb, which is quite incredible. And when he hears the voice of Mary greeting his mother Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit is active within John already, and he goes, that's it. That's, that's who I'm waiting for. He I don't know if that's what's going on in his little baby brain. I'm not sure what he's actually thinking. But he is responding to the move of the Spirit, even in utero. And notice as well that it's a baby that is in Elizabeth's womb. It's not a clump of nothing. It's not just an appendage. It's not a parasite. It's not anything like that. It is a baby in the womb of Elizabeth. Now, one of the things that we see here is Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether, you know, I I read different commentaries, and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to exactly interpret whether this is a quote-unquote side effect of John being filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because Elizabeth is his mother and he resides with her and her, so therefore the Spirit is with her and her as well. I I don't know about all of that. I'm not sure. But it does say this, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed. Uh, when, when you see this many times when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they, it'll usually say they proclaim with a loud voice. This is a declaration of what God is moving within them to speak. Elizabeth suddenly speaks with such clarity and understanding of the situation before her without any information being given to her. This is all done by the Holy Spirit within Elizabeth. Notice what she says. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does she know that Mary's pregnant? Mary's like, Elizabeth, how are you? And she's like, you're pregnant? I don't know about you, that's not normal sign of pregnancy, greeting. That's not a, like one of the signs that you look for. Oh, if she greets you, probably pregnant. That's not a normal sign that you look for, Right? But Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, knew. She felt the babe leap within her. And she wasn't just like, ooh, that was different. She knew because the Holy Spirit was with her and revealing to her. She says this, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth has this incredible joy in the Spirit. The Spirit of God has overcome her, and she is joyful because the mother of her Lord has come, and the baby within her is leaping for joy. 
Notice that joy is the result of the Holy Spirit residing in someone. That's what we learn in Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness. It's also interesting because you might think in her flesh, in Elizabeth's flesh, there might be a tinge if she knew that her her family member had come and she was going to tell her about her pregnancy that maybe there might be a little bit of jealousy rivalry between them. Wait, wait, I just found, I just, I got confirmation that I'm pregnant. Everybody should be celebrating me. This is a big deal for me. I am pregnant. This is from the Lord. I have been waiting. I've been barren. I am old. She doesn't have any of that. That's not a part of this at all. No sign of jealousy, no rivalry, rather an enduring emotion of comfort. She's comforted by this. This gives her comfort. She is now seeing the mother of her Lord coming. And she has confidence in the Lord. I also want you to notice that uh, the, the very first thing that Elizabeth says, she says, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. When sometimes when we are given in, in a Hebrew context, uh, one line that begins with blessed or with, with a certain descriptor word, and then a second with an and in between that is started with the same word, usually the second phrase is actually the reason for the first phrase. We miss out on this a little bit. And so some people have just thought Mary is a blessed individual and the baby that she's going to have is a blessed individual. And there's no connection between the two. When in fact, Mary is blessed because the fruit of her womb is blessed. This is what is being said by Elizabeth. You are a blessed woman. Why? Because the fruit of your womb is blessed. She wasn't blessed in and of herself. She was blessed because of the blessed nature of the child she was bearing. And I will also contend that later on we see uh, in, in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, that she was also blessed because she believed what God told her. She trusted in the Lord. I do want to point out one last thing about this little section that I found incredibly interesting. I already pointed out that Mary and Elizabeth have not spoken to each other other than, hi, one little word between Mary and Elizabeth, a little greeting, a leaping of a baby, and, a, and all of a sudden Elizabeth knows a lot. She knows a lot about what's going on, but she knows even more. I, I really tried to figure out if there's a way to determine whether, you know how you can, you, you can maybe say things that, that reveal, uh, that might be uh, looked at and go, wow, you might know a lot more than what you're leading that you know, but you're like, oh no, I just, I'm just saying something. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she says, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I don't know if Elizabeth 
had a Trinitarian understanding of who God is. That she understands that this child, Christ the Messiah, is the second person of the Trinity. But what's really interesting is that she calls him Lord. My Lord. And then, at the end of her, at the end of her paragraph... She says that, that, there, that, she, that Mary is blessed because she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I don't know if Elizabeth was truly fully cognizant of the connection that she was making. But she was making a very interesting connection between the Lord who gave the promise and the Lord who is in the womb of Mary. It's subtle, but not unnoticeable. Then we get one of the most famous passages in the Gospel of Luke. In Latin, it begins with Magnificant. And so, this passage has become known as the Magnificant. It begins like this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things to, for me. And, his, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to the offspring and to his offspring forever. I want you to notice that this passage has a singular focus, the Lord and his salvation. Mary is not boosting herself up. Mary is not talking about how great she is. Mary is speaking definitively about the greatness of the Lord and the magnificence of him. She magnifies the Lord. She makes him great. She brings his name praise. It's really interesting as you read through this and you compare it to uh, Old Testament passages. Mary was well aware of Scripture, and you can tell just by how she speaks. Scripture filled her mind and her heart, and she drew out of the well of her knowledge of Scripture to speak such things. I thought it was also very interesting that, that it was explicitly stated that Elizabeth is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came upon her. But Mary, it just says that Mary responds this way. It's not some special thing that she is responding with, and yet it, it is of God using God's holy inspired words. If you compare this passage to 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, you'll see a lot of similarities, as is the song of Hannah. 
You'll see other places where there are references to psalms and, and to other places in Scripture throughout this, this beautiful piece. The Song of Praise, the Magnificat. Mary reflected upon herself only in connection or comparison to the goodness of God. She never lifted herself up. She only ever lifted the Lord up. It kind of reminded me of um, uh, the Gospel of John where the forerunner, John the Baptist, is speaking and he hears and he is trying to explain the one whom he is preparing the way for. And he says, I must decrease, but he must increase. This is the heart of the servants of God. We decrease the Lord increases. Notice as well that she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. We all need a Savior. Every single one of us, we are all sinners in desperate need of saving. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mary is among the all. Mary was not exempt from this reality. Mary was not set apart as different only in that God chose her. That is the only difference. God chose her for this particular purpose. To be the one that births the Savior of the world. Savior that she herself needs. And the other thing I want to talk about in this piece is how there is nothing that Mary says in here that can overstate God's greatness. She continuously goes on about his mightiness and his grace. She goes on about his strength, his holiness, his blessedness. How he fills those who are hungry, he sends away those who have already gotten for themselves. She, she says that he has helped his servant. God's greatness can't be overstated in this. And also, I think it's really useful to see that she brings in at the very end, it, it goes from very interesting, it goes from starting with her, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's looked upon me, uh, his humble servant, and he's done this, and he's done great things. It starts to expand outside of Mary. He's done all of these wondrous works, and he has done this for, he has given mercies for those who fear him, uh, and he has shown strength and scattered the proud. That's also really interesting. Brought down the mighty, exalted those who are humble. And then it brings back, like I said, she, her mind is, is filled with Scripture, and what God's promise has been to the people of Israel. And she cannot help but connect what God is doing now to what God had promised to Abraham. That through him, through his offspring, all nations of the world will be blessed. All peoples will be brought this good news. Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months to return to her home. It's not clear whether Mary was there for the birth of John, 
Mary had visited Elizabeth in her sixth month. Three months is six plus three is nine. So right around the time that John is being born, Mary is either left right before it happened or maybe just shortly after, but it's not made very clear. She doesn't appear in this second part of the story, which I don't have too much time to go through, but I'm going to try and go through a little bit of it. Let's read uh, the next couple of verses, 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, Uh, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, if you remember, I said before that Zechariah had been told to be quiet for nine months, and Zechariah is now at the moment that Gabriel told him would come. His son is born, but he's still not talking. He's like, oh yeah, he told me also his name. We must name him John. Elizabeth, here's something that's funny. It's kind of funny that it says that, um, you know, Elizabeth's like, no, his name is John. And then everybody goes to Zechariah and they're like, Zechariah, like, what, what do you want to name? Like, they're trying to do hand signs like he's like deaf He's mute. It's like, I can hear you. You don't need the hand signs. I don't know what's going on here. He's like, give me a writing tablet. I just find this very hilarious that they don't know what's going on. They're like, he can't talk. He must not be able to hear. Let's like make hand signs. Maybe we can help him out. And he's like, just give me the tablet. And he writes down, his name is John. And suddenly, the man who couldn't speak any longer, his mouth was open. He's given this second chance. And with his second chance to speak, the first words out of his mouth aren't, I can talk. It's praise God. Blessed be God. He has total faith. He has learned through these nine months to trust what the Lord is saying, to trust what God is doing. And the first words out of his mouth that has just been loosed, just been opened, is to praise God. His mouth was muted by doubt, but it's opened with praise. This is something we ought to consider for ourselves. It will be quite amazing how so much, so much will be opened when we go to praise the Lord and bless His name. This second song It's sometimes called uh, the prophecy of Zechariah. Uh, It's also given a Latin name. It's called uh, the Benedictus because it begins with the word Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord. Let's read 67 
through 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah went from praise to prophecy. Notice again, the focus is the Lord and His salvation. The Lord and His salvation is where the focus of this prophecy is. You would think that he began to speak about the magnificence of the Son that had just been born to him. That's usually how fathers speak on the day of their children's birth. They are enthralled by the wonder of the new life before them. They are enraptured with love for their children. And it is not that Zechariah is devoid of that, but he knows that the birth of his son is a signal of something even greater. Not just a blessing to him, but salvation to Israel. Notice that verses 68 through 75 and 78 through 79 are focused on the Lord. And his horn of salvation. You might think when you're first reading this that when he speaks of the horn of salvation at first, that, oh, I guess he's talking about John. Nope, not at all. He's talking about the other son he just heard about. I don't know if Zechariah overheard the conversation that Elizabeth and Mary had, but Zechariah was overcome by the Holy Spirit and speaking the truth, true words of God. And he knew that there was a horn of salvation that was being given to Israel. Notice the words that are used, visited, redeemed, saved, shown mercy, remember, give light. These are what the horn of salvation will do. This is the salvation that will be, bring, that will be brought. <clears throat> the horn part, usually when you're talking about an animal in the ancient world, you would say that their horn is a symbol of their strength. And so this is a symbol of the mightiness of God in salvation. The mighty salvation of the Lord has been raised up. Then he speaks of his son. He says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. What will he do? You will go before the Lord to prepare his way. What will he do? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. These are the two things that he will do. Prepare the way and give knowledge of salvation. Here is what is so interesting. Salvation 
for many Jews in the first century was defeat of the Roman Empire. Salvation for us as well is defeat of our political enemies, is it not? Oh man, save us from these political enemies we have. Save us from the stuff that we see before our eyes. The knowledge of salvation that John will prepare is tied to the forgiveness of sins. This is the salvation that is going to be given. Forgiveness of sin. This is salvation plus forgiveness of sin. This is the knowledge that he will bring. This is why John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay. We've gone through this passage and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to give you just two things to go home with. Two things to bring back with you from what we've studied throughout this, this uh, section of, this latter section of the first chapter of Luke. First, joy comes from the Lord, not yourself. One of the things I was uh, listening to this week, I, I listened to way too much stuff through YouTube. And I stumble upon videos all the time. YouTube's like, hey, you'll probably like this video. And I'm like, nah, I won't. Yeah, I did. I like that one. That was interesting. Okay. Uh, what, what do you got for me next, YouTubes? And it just keeps sending me stuff. And one of the things that it sent me was uh, talking about the rise of narcissistic personality um, traits in the American populace. Um, this is separate from narcissistic personality disorder. That is an actual personality disorder that you have to be diagnosed with. But there are certain personality traits that tend towards narcissism that have risen in American culture. And it was talking about this. And one of the explanations for why it took so long for certain psychologists to realize that this increase was happening because they didn't realize it for like 10 to 15 years. And it wasn't because they weren't studying these things. But what they discovered is that they had like changed some of the meanings of words and they had changed different outcomes. They started looking at, rather than viewing certain traits as narcissistic, they said, well, this is really just like a self-confidence thing. And like people need to be more confident in themselves and that's going to bring about better outcomes for them psychologically. And so <laughs> this one psychologist was like, we've been encouraging people to be narcissistic and to think of themselves first, and to be incredibly self-focused. And then we've given them this tool where it's like, you know, the, the story of Narcissus, the Greek myth, is that he falls in love with his own reflection. And then we give people these devices where they fall in love with their own reflections. And they're like, I gotta, everybody's got to see this. I gotta, I, and i got to get the likes. And what's also really interesting is that narcissism is not just a a outward expression. It's also when people are, are, have a really hard time um, feeling good about themselves, so they need affirmation from everyone around them. And so they might even look a little gloomy, not like super arrogant like we would think a narcissist would be, but sometimes they're a little gloomy and they're always looking for people to give them compliments. Uh, there's a stupid YouTube song, see YouTube shares more things with me, uh, where a guy sings, give me compliments. I'm looking for compliments. Please tell me good things about myself. Um, and it was, a, it was a satirical song, but it really does reveal a lot about what's going on. And so much of pop psychology and pop culture is find joy in you. 
You're really awesome. Did you know that? You're amazing. And you've been awesome all along. You have been what you needed. You're the answer to all your problems. You just need to look within yourself and you just need to find your own self-confidence and pull yourself up. If you're feeling down, you need to look within yourself to find your joy. But my friends, joy is a fruit that grows because of the Holy Spirit's work within us. It is not found primarily within us, but it is found when the Holy Spirit is in us that it comes out of us. It's not because we have it. It's because the Holy Spirit develops us with joy, fills us with joy, and joy comes out. Too many focus on looking inside themselves to dig up joy that they're just not going to find The joy that we need comes to us from the Lord himself. So stop looking down and in. Don't look to the side. Look up to him who provides joy. Secondly, taking our cue from Mary, magnify the Lord. It's the only antidote to an arrogant heart. Raymond Brown theologian who wrote a book called uh, The Birth of the Messiah, said this, the proud look down on others because they do not look up at God. And so, in the Bible, the proud are constantly presented as God's enemies. I had this, upon reading that, I had this like image in my mind of people down in a pit mud-covered, and there are individuals who are on the ground. They can't even raise themselves up. They're in such a low estate that their chins and mouths are filling with mud, and they have no way. They can't look any further down, and all they have is the opportunity to look up. And as they look up, they will see that there are some individuals who are standing over them looking down and saying, what pitiful creatures you are down in the mud. And they judge themselves as much superior and much better than those who are below them. And yet they're both at the bottom of the pit. They're both stuck. And the one who stands above looking down has no opportunity to see the one who has come to rescue. Only the one who looks up and looks towards his salvation out of the pit will see his salvation coming. When you have arrogance in your heart that you need no salvation, that you're great, that you don't need anything else, you're amazing how you are, listen, it is true you are valuable. God made you in His image and that makes you valuable. But we're broken and we need repair and we can't do it ourselves. We can't pull ourselves out of the pit. We need one to reach down to pull us out. And we will never see the one who is pulling us out if we're constantly looking down at others. And 
judging ourselves as much better than them. So the only antidote to our arrogance of heart is to magnify God, to have him increase and to have us decrease. I hope you join us next week. We'll be going through Luke chapter 2, talking about the birth of Christ and what an amazing and beautiful and blessed night that was. And I hope you join us and I hope you invite others to come and hear of the birth of the Savior so that they, they too might be able to look up. They too might be able to see the salvation that is available to us. That they too might be able to have the joy of the Lord that the mother Elizabeth and mother Mary felt, the, the joy that Zechariah felt that is found only in Christ, found only in Him as a result of His Holy Spirit at work in us. So I hope you join us next week where we will go through that and we will celebrate Christmas together. Uh, until then, uh, I hope that you continue to uh, be prayerful and watchful and ruminate upon these things that we found in the Scripture this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to be in your Word, for this opportunity to give you the praise due to you. God, we, we see the examples of Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah, two women just filled with joy, not just at the birth of their own sons, but what their sons meant to the world and to the plan of salvation that you have established. And Lord, we, we look to Zechariah who, who took advantage of a second chance when he doubted the Lord and then he was given this second chance. He didn't miss it. And so, Lord, I ask that if any of us need that second chance, that we wouldn't miss it either, that we would, we would spring praise and blessing of you from our mouths and that we would put our trust fully in you so that we might be able to enjoy the joy that you give to us, that we might be able to cherish all of the precious gifts of mercy that you bestow upon those who trust in you. And that we might have the knowledge that our salvation is found in Christ Jesus who alone forgives us of our sins. This is not a work of ourselves. It is a gift of you, our Lord. We thank you for this example. We thank you for these reminders. We thank you for your word preserved for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe that there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information. Thank you and God bless.